Welcome to the Fully Equipped Podcast, where we read through the Bible together and help to answer any questions you might have. Welcome back to the Fully Equipped Podcast. I'm Zach. And I am Travis, and we are on episode two. We made it. Episode two. Hopefully this one will be better than the last one, and the next one will be better than this one. That's right. We're getting, we're finally getting used to it, I think, uh, having some microphones in front of our faces, and so we're still trying to figure all this out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't get so far off on some rabbit trails that, that we lose too many of you. Yeah, and I'm just going to mention again, we talked about it last time, and that's going to be kind of our focus every time we talk, is we always want to bring it back to what's the point? So even when we may get off on a rabbit trail and get into some of these discussions, we always want to try to figure out uh, what God's saying, what he's saying to us, what, you know, what he was saying to them, and what it means for us today. Yeah, we want to make sure that we're not too distracted by, by some of the interesting stuff and, and that's in the Bible. We want to make sure that everything we're reading points us in a direction for our lives, points us towards the gospel. So we will just jump right in and go. What do you say? Sounds good to me. We're recording this on a on a Wednesday night. It's cold and rainy outside and late. And late. Um, we probably should have done this earlier, but life happens. And so. Uh, All right. So where are we starting today? Well, last time we kind of left off. If if you've been following along in the reading plan. Um, today is Wednesday. Will this be released on Thursday? Thursday. So should be reading five and six today and then seven and eight uh, tomorrow, which will be Friday. Right. And so we kind of left off last time. We had talked a little bit about three. And I think we just kind of want to reiterate. We had our Bible study tonight. And and so if you were here, you would have heard some of this. But I think it'd be a good idea to kind of reiterate some of that because it really follows through. Um, when we point to Jesus, Jesus is our Savior, but to really understand um, a Savior, we need to understand what we're being saved from. Right, and so what the, the first couple of chapters in the Bible really talk about are the, our need for a Savior. It, we talk about creation and the fact that God is the creator and we are the creation and, and that God truly loved his creation, um, which is why we had the choice in the garden to eat of the tree or not to. God gave us that choice. He gave us a command not to, but ultimately it was our choice whether or not we ate of it. And as humanity, we chose to eat of that tree, um, and there was consequence for that. But throughout all that, we really realize how great God's love for us is Mm -hmm. because even after we eat of the tree and even after we we lie to God he clothes us before he sends us out of the garden he's still realizing needs for us even in our punishment or our consequence for our action yeah and one thing we see so and this is something that we talked about a little bit tonight we see it in chapter 3 and we see it in 4 and I think it's something you continue to see throughout but we talk about the 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 idea of sin and so I think one of the the things you hear the most today or one of the things that you see 
the most often is uh, how people define sin. How do you think people today define sin? Not what do you think it is, Zach, but what do, how do you think most people see sin today? Um, I would say most people define sin as the list of things that they're not allowed to do because God said so. Yeah, and, when I, and I can tell you, I didn't grow up in church. I, I don't have a church background. And so coming from outside the faith and not being born into it, uh, sometimes I have a little different perspective than some people do. But uh, one of those things was I always saw the Bible as a rule book. It's just a list of things that these are the things that you can do and these are the things that you shouldn't do or can't do. And that's one of the reasons I never really wanted to, it never interested me is why do I want to, why do I want to follow something that's going to tell me what I can and can't do? I've already got enough people in my life telling me what I can and can't do. Why one more thing? And so that's why I think it's important for us to understand this concept of sin. Because the real sin in chapter 3 in the, the, in the fall was not Adam and Eve eating the fruit. Eating the fruit was a fruit of the sin. It was a right. result of their sin. Their sin was disobeying God and turning their back, doing what they wanted over what God knew was best for them. Right. And I, that's the same that's true for us today. So a lot of times when we list out sins, that's not the right question. Right. The, the, the right question is, why do we want to do these things? You know, when we get later on, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we list off all the fruit of the Spirit. Well, if you're following the Spirit, this fruit will show up in your life. If you're not following God, if you're sinning against God, then you're going to have a different kind of fruit it's really, show up. It's really the fruits of the Spirit versus the fruits of the flesh. Yeah, um, that's a great way to put it. So the, the idea that we're, we're trying to convey is that sin itself isn't your actions. Those actions are a result of the sin in your life, which that's is it. the separation from God. And that's it. That's what sin is defined as. as I think it's literally defined when you get down and do a word study. It's literally defined as missing the mark. Um, but it's, it's better described as being, it's a separation from God. And I, I think an important thing that we need to say when we're discussing this is that Christians sin. That as someone who follows God and as someone who follows Christ and tries to live a life that is really exemplifying Christ and is really, you know, trying to hit the mark, that you're still going to miss. That's right. You know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, aim for perfection. That's the goal. But if you, you can't allow yourself to say, well, I've missed the mark. I'm never going to make it. It, you know, I, I have a friend, his name's Ruben and his, um, the way that he teaches this, uh, he's, he's a, or he was a youth pastor. Um, the way that he would teach this in youth is, Every day be 1% better. And so you may sin today, but if tomorrow you can make it further throughout the day without sinning, then you've gotten better. You've progressed. Yeah. And if you can always be progressing, then even if it's a small amount, a small margin, mm -hmm. then you're never 
further back than what you were. Yeah. You're always closer to Christ if you can constantly be even marginally better. Well, that's what I always say. We strive for excellence, not for perfection. Because the only way that we're perfected is through Christ. Right. But if we strive for, and if, we, if you strive for perfection when you mess up, you're going to beat yourself up. If you strive for excellence, which just means you're going to do the very best you can do each and every day, um, which may mean there's some days that you don't quite make the mark. Sometimes you miss the mark, but you, you learn and you improve. And so when we look at chapter 3, that's what we see. We see them preferring themselves over God. Um, I think what you see here is the opposite of faith. So we have a good, perfect, loving God. They begin to question that goodness and want that knowledge for themselves and, and, and turn inward. And so when you get to chapter 4 and we get into discussion about Cain and Abel, um, that's really, you see, this, uh, you see this same idea come through with right. Cain. So a lot of times we get distracted about the offering. So we spend a lot of time talking about, well, why wasn't his offering as good as it should have been? What should he have done? What, when all it came down to was it, the offering was just the fruit of the sin. Where the, where the real problem came in was with where his heart and his standing was with God. And then God even in his grace, so we talk about God's grace and his love. In God's grace, he still warns Cain. Cain's, you know, sinned against him, and you can tell he's, he's rebelling against God. He's not giving the very best. He's keeping that for himself. But then God still warns him and says, if you do good, uh, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so we see God still extending that grace and that love and and after even after Cain kills his brother Abel I think we still see God's grace there and God didn't strike him down he had a punishment to suffer but God still offered protection and and took care of him so and then I know that we said that we're we're talking about what's the point and we want to we don't want to get distracted but I do think there's a couple of interesting things here okay uh one is that Cain was angry, God was not. I, yeah. think, I think a lot of times when we look at this, uh, we think that God has a problem with Cain's offering. And it just says that Cain's offering wasn't looked upon with favor. It just says that God didn't think it was, was all that great. And Cain is the one who's angry, not God. I think that's really interesting. I think a it lot is. of people really overlook that. Another thing that I think is interesting is that we've talked about how sin is a separation from God. And in these two instances of sin that we have, in um, Adam and Eve, in the, in the actions, mm -hmm. Adam and Eve eating the fruit of the tree and Cain murdering his brother, um, the way that it's written, it's as if God isn't there for those moments. That physically, he, he isn't in those moments. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I don't think it's terribly uh, important doctrinally or theologically, but I think it's interesting to look at that and say, if sin is a separation from God, then in the moment when Adam and Eve are choosing to eat the fruit, God's not there, but afterwards, he shows up. 
Yeah. In the moment that Cain chooses to strike down his brother, he's not there. God shows up. And he and the reason that that's that I see that clearly is because both times God asks essentially what just happened here as if he wasn't near those people as if he were as if there was a separation. And I just think that that's something that's yeah. it's one of those interesting well, points that I don't want us to get hung up on, yeah. but it is just kind of well I give you my thought on that. My thought on that is we know that God is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. Right. Um, there's nothing that happens that God doesn't know about. You can't hide sin from God. He knows your thoughts. He knows your innermost fears, desires. He knows all of these things. He sees your heart. And, uh, but we see Jesus do the same thing. Jesus asks questions not because he doesn't know the answer. He asks questions that cut to the heart of the matter to get the person he's talking to to see it for themselves. Right. Um, I think, well, it's the way that I see it is that we'll never escape God. Yeah. But we can separate our heart from God. And I think in those moments that that's what you're seeing is that they've disconnected their heart from God. Mm -hmm. And so when he comes back, he's acknowledging that. Yeah. He's well, saying, I think he's, yeah. What's I think, happened here? You're, you took your heart away from me. Yeah. What did you do? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not he's just a, asking about what action did you take, mm -hmm. but w why did you separate yourself yeah. from me? And he's asking them so they realize. Yeah. He wants them it's to for, see it for and them benefit. to understand. Yes. Yes. And, and so we see in, in chapter four, uh, so talking about sin, we see it, it's a, it's an affliction, um, it's, it's like a disease. It causes you to see the truth distorted through a distorted lens because everybody who sins tends to try to justify it. We see Adam and Eve do it. We see uh, Cain do it, and it goes on and on. It builds up like a callus till you don't even see the truth anymore. Uh, we see it doesn't respect generations. It nope. cascades down. Yep. Um, and we see that here, that without a Savior, it just continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse um, through the generations. Uh, chapter 5, we're not going to go spend a whole bunch of time talking about how long people lived. Um, but I think, here's... I think an interesting part about some of the genealogies that we see, and we're going to, you know, we're going to go through a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, is that these were told so that people could understand where they came from. Mm-hmm. And I think we look back on these with a vision of today and we say, well, that doesn't apply to me. But we all come from Adam. Yeah. That's where we all start. And so this is still a vision of where we come from. And that's what's interesting is, so when you get to the book of Matthew, it traces genealogy back to Abraham. But in the book of, is it Luke or Mark? The other one that does the genealogy. Um, it traces it all the way back to Adam. And so, but that's one of those side trails that we will get into later on, get into genealogy. But here's an interesting one. So I was reading, and how many times have you read the Bible, you come across something and you go, hmm, I wonder. I mean, constantly. So chapter 6. When human beings began to increase in number on earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married 
any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. So here's the question. Who in the world are the sons of God? So I do not know. And that is something I'm going to say a lot. (laughs) Um, The one spot that I've read anything on Uh, It's in a study Bible that I have. It says that that could be referring to uh, political leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard the idea that it is angels. Um, Mm -hmm. But in every spot where I've read anything about angels in the Bible, there's no reference to them being children of God. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that that's very unlikely. Um, But other than... So I have have my own opinion on it. Now... I'm not going to say I'm right because there are plenty of people who will disagree with it and there's not a clear-cut answer. But I'll tell you why I believe what I believe and how I believe it brings us back to the point okay. of what God's trying to tell us. Let's hear because it. really any way you go with this thing, you, end, you can end up in the same place. You can end up with the same point. Now, I, I've done some reading on it. And from what I understand, there's about three separate interpretations of who the sons of God are. Um, one, of, one of them says they're fallen angels. Uh, of course, your problem with that is you get into the New Testament. It talks about, uh, I think it's in the New Testament, it talks about angels don't marry. Right. Um, I don't know that angels even reproduce. And so you run into an issue with that. There's only one other. There is one spot, I believe it's in Job, where it kind of refers to the sons of God, where it could refer to it being angels, but most every other place you see, it doesn't. Um, Now, I don't like the translation of the NIV for this particular verse because it says the daughters of humans and... In the King James and the New King James and a lot of other, lot of other ones, um, it says the uh, daughters of men. So you had the sons of God and the daughters of men. Um, now the second one on the sons of God is, is the second one that you said where it could be a, a, a royal line. Um, I don't think you find a lot of support for that one either. The third one is where I tend to land. And that's the sons of God are from the line of Seth. Okay. Which is the chosen is the chosen generation to bring it through, which would have been Abel. So you remember at the very beginning, this is this is why I go there, is because I think for up till now we have support for that in the Bible. So after Eve sinned, you remember the promise that God made about the serpent? He will, talking about her offspring will crush his head and he will strike his, his heel. Mm-hmm. And so she had to think when Abel, her firstborn, was born that that would be the offspring he was, that God was referring to. Right. And then Cain kills Abel. It had to be 
devastating for her. Um, but God gave a replacement for Abel, and she bore Seth. Remember, Cain was thrown out and, and banished, and Seth comes in and takes over. And so uh, I believe you can find support for the sons of God coming from the line of Seth, which would have been like the godly line, and the daughters of men would have been from the ungodly line of Cain, the ones that were banished and um, turned away. And then we get into this whole thing about the Nephilim. I don't, I don't even have an opinion. This is one of those moments where I think that we don't have enough information. Yes. Uh, I think there are... This is a moment where distraction is, is almost the only thing you can get from with this particular verse because you can ask so many outlandish questions that distract you from what the point is none of the answers point towards what we're being told yeah and i think that that's that's one of those things where this is one of those conversations that i think would be really cool uh if we had a little bit more information yeah Uh, but we're so lacking that i really don't i don't really get into discussions about this yeah, uh, this is one that I just tend to avoid because it, even in even in those kinds of conversations where you understand that it's a small point, it can get very contentious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because people set in and they have their ideas. It's a funny thing about the Bible, right? The, the, the Bible. I don't know what accent's coming out now. That's the funny thing about the Bible is there's some people that have been taught a certain way since they were they may have grown up in church they've always been taught this way and they're going to stick to their guns on that because that's the way they learned it and they don't know any different and so anybody that's going to you have some people that it lines up with the preconceived notion that they already have yeah and then you have some who when you come to these hard passages that's where i say this is where we back off and go okay what's god trying to tell us yeah, we have all the information he's going to give us on this. There's not going to be any new information that's going to come out. And I've seen stories that, that refer to uh, Nephilim as giants. There were giants that roamed the earth in those days. And I don't know, I got an email a while back. Um, you ever get these emails forwarded to you? Now you see them on Facebook all the time also where it, it, it's going to, we've proved the Bible. We found giant bones in a... And so here's proof of this passage right here. And the problem you run into with that is with just a little bit of research, you find out it's a fake story. It's fake news. And you have well-meaning Christians who forward this stuff and and get caught into this trap of of passing passing on lies because it lines up with their world point of view. Right. Um, I think that's why nobody will ever find the ark. Nobody will ever find Noah's Ark because God doesn't want it found. And if there was two of everything on there, there was two termites on there, and they had to get a start somewhere. Yeah. The thing that, so just in case anybody's confused up to this point, the Nephilim argument is what were the Nephilim? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's the, the idea that they're giants. 
Um, I've heard the idea that they are the offspring of angels and, and humans. Mm-hmm. And I, no matter where you land, if you know, there may be four or five or a hundred other ideas of what the Nephilim are. Yes. I think, I think the idea is that they were men of renown. That, that at the end of the day, these were people who were looked up to. But that didn't matter because they weren't righteous. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing, too. Yeah. The, so NIV says, let me see. NIV says Nephilim. You know, the New King James doesn't. What does the New King James say? There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. And so, again, that's one of those things where giants could literally mean mm-hmm. very large people, but it could also mean, well, it could be a figurative thing that this person is a giant in their social stature that's and right. not necessarily in their physical stature. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more you get into it, the thing that you have to realize is that, there were people who were roaming the earth that other people looked up to who weren't righteous. They were wicked, which was why God is casting judgment in this moment. And that Noah is not one of these people. He is not renowned by others, but God sees him as righteous. And I think that that's the point is yeah. that we're not here to please people. We are here to please God. That's right. And that's where you get down to the point. So no matter where you stand, whether you think they were giants or whether you think they weren't. If you think the sons of men, I mean the sons of God were fallen angels, which means that demons were reproducing with humans, making some kind of weird demon baby. Demon babies that became giants and ran over the earth. Or I tend to line more along the lines of you had the godly line of Seth mixing with the ungodly line of Cain which causes, remember what Jesus says, a little yeast in the leaven spoils the whole batch. So you've got the godly mixing with the ungodly, which never ends good, it always ends bad. And so it goes on to say, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And there's where you get to the point. Doesn't matter what you think these things were, who they were, how they came about, we know one thing and one thing for sure. Everybody's heart had turned to evil. Everybody's heart had turned away from God, had completely abandoned him, and God hit a reset button, and the only righteous he found was Noah, and Noah's family was saved because of Noah's righteousness, and and he obeyed. So that, that's where you get into, and I guess one of the things that we really want everybody who's listening to really get is it's really easy to get caught up into these arguments and right. get into heated debates about 
were they giants, weren't they giants, were they, when the point is, it doesn't matter where you stand on it, everybody's thoughts were evil all the time. Another argument that you hear about is, why would a loving God flood the earth? Why, why would a loving, caring God do that? And I think people don't realize that when you love something and it is clearly not loving you and you have created it mm-hmm. that, and you've set rules for it and, and those rules aren't being obeyed, how would you handle that? As as an uh, as an imperfect being, you know well, there are, there are times you know if you make a bad meal you throw it out you don't sit there and eat it, you know and and we're imperfect and yet we would we would understand that distinction and under you know we're not a meal for God but you know that's that's not a one to one metaphor that's great but the point is God is loving mm-hmm. God found Noah he found he looked for the righteousness and he found it. Well, I think it comes. He wasn't being petty. That's yeah. what I think. That's that's the big part of it is that people look at it and say, "Why would a loving God do that?" And they're looking for any excuse to to justify mm-hmm. the pain that they have gone through in their life. Yeah, and it's to say that God's not loving, that God was petty or he was vindictive or whatever. There was a reason why this was happening. Well, I I, I could tell you this. I'm I'm going to give you a, a a metaphor that I just came up with. It's not one to one. And I'm not calling people dogs. And so keep that in mind as we go through this. Because I have dogs and I love my dogs. Um, matter of fact, we went to Port Lavaca today in the cold and they, ran, they rode in the back of the Suburban and got out of the house and had a blast. And they are, they are big dogs. A um, couple of Great Danes. Yes, a Great Dane and a Great Dane pit bull mix. And... They're fun, and they each have their own personality, and they each have their own um, they each have their own life experiences. They were brought up, you know, the the, the full blood Great Dane was abandoned underneath a, a trailer house, and so she's really skittish around people and craves attention because for the first couple of years of her life she didn't get any attention, and so she really loves to be pet and doted on and. And she needs that reassurance constantly. And the other one's always grown up in a loving home and just kind of takes it for granted. And we can be a little rough with her, and she just doesn't know any different. She was the only one for a while, so she thinks all the food's for her. That's right. She does think she has, and she's getting pretty fat now because she thinks she has to eat all the food so that sister doesn't get any. And so I, I, I really love my dogs. But you look at it from an aspect of, let's say I continue rescuing dogs or begin to breed dogs. Well, if I bring in a super violent dog into the house, because sometimes dogs through experience or abuses or whatever the reason, they, you know, whether it's breeding or it's abuse or whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to say, if I was to bring a dog into my home, that was going to be violent and it began to attack the other dogs and do damage to the other dogs that I have. Well, there comes a point where, okay, well, let's say, yes, I could separate that dog off from the rest of them, but if that dog continues to breed and continues to make 
other aggressive dogs and those continue to breed faster than the good ones, at some point, what's going to happen? It's going to wipe out all of the good dogs and all you're going to have is this disobedient, super aggressive uh, breed that won't. And I think that's what you see happening here is God loves his creation so much that he had to put down, that he had to, he had to eliminate the part that was going to destroy the whole. Um, and, and that takes true love to do that. Because I can guarantee you, knowing what I know of God and what I read in the Bible, it didn't bring God joy to have to flood the earth. His joy would have been for everyone to have been holy and righteous like Noah was. Right. But because they weren't, he had to protect his overall creation. It brought no joy that Jesus had to hang on the cross and pay the price for our sins. But because God is a holy, loving, and graceful God, he was willing to do that for us because he loves his creation, and he knew what it meant. Um, the ideal, preferable way would be always choose God and never be disobedient. But because it didn't happen that way, God came up with another plan. So when we look at what's the point, that's the point. It's the point is that God loves us, and he's willing to go to extremes because of that love to show his grace and his love and his mercy, even when sometimes it doesn't appear that way, even when sometimes we can't fully understand. So we may be distracted by, uh, we, we get distracted in his words sometimes and get off point and get off topic on what is this or what is that. And they're really neat things to talk about, but when it comes down to it, the point was evil was dominating evil was beginning to grow we look at sin we talked about this earlier in our bible study um, sin a lot of time in the old testament is compared to uh, the skin disease leprosy leprosy um, well leprosy has pretty well been eradicated in our time period that we live in so we don't understand that but i think a disease that we do understand that operates the same way as cancer right and so Sin operates the same way that cancer does. Cancer starts out as one mutated cell that grows and begins to infect others, and it grows and grows and grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, it's got to be cut off and dealt with. We see that in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, things have changed. We live in a time period of grace where Jesus is the cure. Yeah. And so he was, he was cut off for our sake. He, he bore that sin. He bore that cancer. He bore that disease upon himself. Now, don't get it wrong. I'm not saying everybody who has cancer is sinning. That's not the point. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is just using a metaphor where we can see. Right. I think another, another avenue to see some of this is that God is always showing us our, he's always providing for need. You know, mm -hmm. we said that when, when Adam and Eve are, are taken out of the garden, that God had clothed them beforehand. And before God floods the earth, he gives Noah a way out. Noah and his family receive a way out and 
Noah is given very specific instructions on how to build the ark and how to how to inhabit the ark. And we see a few things uh, about that. One is that Noah was completely obedient mm-hmm. so that the ark was the the size and shape it needed to be and it was built by the time it needed to be built um we see that his family had food to eat to make it and it it specifies clean and unclean animals and that was before the dietary laws cultural thing they would have understood yes what were clean and unclean animals what was safe and unsafe um but we also see that Noah also values God in the same way that Abel did, and that the first thing that he does when he leaves the ark is builds an altar and makes offerings and sacrifices to God. The first, that was the first thing that he thought of when he made it back onto dry land. Yeah. Was, let's thank God. And I think that that's the character that is, is what saved Noah and his family. Yeah. That's the righteousness that, that God sees before the flood. Yeah. And his obedience and his sacrificial nature afterwards are a fruit of that. Well, that's one thing, and we don't want to, we don't want to spend too much more time here. But that's one thing I think that we need to realize is a lot of times when you hear the word righteous, you think of somebody who lives a right way or a moral person. When I believe when the Bible refers to righteous, what we're really seeing is somebody who's in right standing with God, yeah. who's living an obedient life. It's, it's not so much about them following a list of rules, but it's that their heart is inclined toward God and not inclined toward themselves, because I believe that's what the opposite of being righteous is, is being selfish. Yeah. I completely, I I very much agree with that. It's being turned around. And so when he comes off of the ark, he's going to thank God because he's going to realize not, hey, look at what I did. I built a big boat and saved us. It's God provided all of this to get us through. Now, just on a, I'm going to pull this off point for one second. Okay. I know we need to close up this and and finish this up, but I'm going to pull this off point just for one second because we like to talk interesting things sometimes. That's right. And so they've got this exhibit right this museum this guy built uh built an ark it's like a theme park now where you can go and supposedly he followed the dimensions of it and all of these things right and just on a side note it doesn't matter to anything but i'll tell you this i don't think he built it right it's because it's built like like we see it's built in all the pictures where it's this big kind of Almost like an old-fashioned cruise liner. That's right. It's got a rounded bottom, and it's got a rudder. And this would have been more like a rectangle barge because he wasn't going anywhere. It had no propulsion, and you don't want a rounded hull that's going to— that's why you don't see barges like that. You, you do a rounded hull so it cuts through the water. Well, he's not traveling anywhere, and he's got no propulsion system. Now, that has nothing to do with nothing. The important point is, God said build an ark. Here's how to do it. Noah did it. What it looked like, it doesn't make any difference. But I do find that interesting. Somebody pointed that out. Uh, I didn't come up with that on my own. I was actually reading an uh, article on the Internet, and it was a guy who actually, like, builds boats. 
and he wrote this article about why that was completely wrong. And I went, well, that's interesting. I never thought about that, but he's right. And so now every time I see a picture of that place, I go, it's not right. And then I have to... That's one of those notions that you have that you're really set in. That's right. And then that's where I have to always back up and go, but that's not the point. It's not what it looks like. It's not if it... That's why I don't need to find the ark. You know, they don't need to find it on Mount Ararat and do an expedition and go, we uncovered the ark. It doesn't matter. The color of the life jacket doesn't matter. That's right. The fact that it saved somebody's life. God said he built it. This is how he did it. And I just believe it in faith. Um, whether, you know, for all I know, it did have a big sale and, and, you know, maybe had dolphins pushing it. I don't know. And it doesn't matter. The point is Noah was righteous, obedient, and God used him. And, and you're, we'll see next week how God makes a covenant and, and go on from there. Well, we really enjoyed it. We hope this is getting better. Um, we welcome your feedback. We welcome if you've got ways that we can improve. If you've got questions, if we said something and you just want to chime in on it, uh, email us at podcast at fullyequipped.church. Um, we'd love to... We'd love to hear from you. Um, we, we're enjoying this so far. It's, it's, it's going to get better, I promise. That's right. We're doing everything we can to make this uh, the best that we can. And so we're really looking forward to having some more conversation and, and hopefully you know, helping some people along in their walk and, and helping to clear up some confusion for some people. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless everyone, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Fully Equipped Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or Spotify, as well as www.fullyequipped.church. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at fullyequipped.church. Have a blessed day.